Hi, thanks for tuning in to Beyond Walls, a podcast from Theater Pass Mirai. We're changing things up a little bit today, as you can hear. The tune you're hearing below is not our usual intro. This is a track from John and Waleed, which is playing at Theater Pass Mirai, and the subject of our podcast today. This is an Egg Rolls podcast. This is where we take you in to hear a recording from Egg Rolls with Andy which is a live event that we do down at the theater. It's a chance for artistic director Andy McKim to speak with a local expert or public intellectual on a theme related to the piece that we're doing. It's John and Walid by John Millard and Walid Abdul Hamid. Today we're going to be talking with Tamam McCullum, who runs the Turtle House. We're going to hear a little bit about her work with newcomers, refugees, and recent immigrants leaving war to come to Canada. She runs some great programs through Turtle House, and we've got some information about how you can support that work. But in the meantime, let's tune in and hear Tamam McCollum in conversation with Artistic Director Andy McKim. I'm Jib Paris-Ram, Associate Artistic Producer at Theatre Pass Marai. Thanks very much for joining us. Let's go. Good evening, folks. My name is Andy McKim, Artistic Director here at Theatre Pass Marai. And uh, tonight, for John and Walid Egg Rolls, uh, we have Tamam McCallum, who's the Executive Director of Turtle House Art Play Centre, as our guest. And uh, I thought we could start with you actually telling us about the Turtle House. Um, you've been in operation for? Um. Since 2008, we got incorporated in 2005, um, which is a little bit different than usual. Yeah. We got incorporated before we actually got the money to start the program, because we were so we were yes we had a lot of faith, and also we loved the name Turtle House Art Play Center, and we were afraid that we would lose it. So, and the only way to secure it was to get incorporated. And you offer programs for immigrant and refugee families? Well, actually, it's mostly for children and parents who are refugees, or they could be coming from war-torn countries. They could be newcomer refugees, or they could now be immigrants, permanent residents. They could even be citizens, but from refugee backgrounds. And what's the nature of the programs that you offer? Uh, it's obviously Art Play Center, so that gives us an indication. Yes. So we do art-based. We do play work, ceramics, um, music, singing, drumming, play work, oh, did I say that? Play yes. work, ceramics, painting, yeah. And the idea of focusing on art and play and focusing on families what was the thinking behind that? What? Well, it was a way of welcoming refugees, ref, refugee families, and um, using art to engage them. And I think of art as being therapeutic. It's it's not art therapy. It's but it's therapeutic. It's art is fun. It's crosses barriers of culture and um, language. And um, I think children can express themselves much better through art than mm -hmm. through words at times. Um, maybe through painting, but not only painting. I think all the arts are expressive. 
And are you making the arts available to people, or is this a directed program where you have an objective mm. with offering these arts programs to folks? Like, are you providing crayons, or are you also providing a kind of context for this work? It's, it's both things. Uh -huh. uh, and it's facilitated by professional artists, um, the painting, the ceramic artist, and um, also we have world music, well, very well-known world music um, musicians and singers like Mariam Tala and Rula Saeed and right. um, Ahmad, Monica. So um, we have themes at times, but it's, it's free for them to select. Mm -hmm. we, it's in a huge room, and we have different stations in the room, and um, they're free to select which activity they want. All the activities are going on simultaneously. Uh -huh. and, and we have, we end with a shared meal, and everything is free. Fabulous. <laughs> and were you around for the creation of uh, um, Turtle House? I'm the founder. You're the founder. So, what was the impetus at the time for this particular organization? Um, do you want the short story or the long story? <laughs> we have time for the long story. Okay. And I think it's, it's pertinent. Okay. So my background is in family <coughs> counseling and I also am a commun in community development way back from in the 1970s. And I used to be a professor at George Brown College. So one day, I think it was 2000, um, we invited um, a visitor to make a presentation in the class, in one of my classes, and he showed a video. And it was a video of the butterfly garden in Batikalawa, Sri Lanka, which is a very, a uh, civil war was raging in that area. And this garden was really very beautiful and imaginative. And what they did was they had a bus that they would bus children from the conflict zone and from the different groups that were at war with each other to come into the garden and make art. And it was very inspiring. So I dreamed that one day, we, we, I really wanted to be a part of creating something like a beautiful place for newcomer children and parents coming from war. Um, something like that with a garden too, and to make art. So that was a dream vision. And then came 9-11 and the aftermath of 9-11, which was you know, the various wars and demonization of Arabs and Muslims. And, and it was a time when there was a lot of fear around. And I felt we couldn't wait much longer. We needed to start working with children and from different cultural backgrounds. and. Um, using art and exposing them to each different cultures to, to learn to respect each other and respect their culture. And we, we wanted it to be intergenerational as well. So that's when it started and I had a background working a lot with settlement agencies. So I went around to different agencies asking them what they thought about it and so on. Trying to see who would come on board. And I remember finally, they all said it was a great idea. And, but Nobody exactly wanted to do it themselves. <laughs> so then one person said, why don't you start it? So that's what happened. But it took a while to get it off the ground. 
Um, and so, as I said, we got incorporated in 2005, but it was January 2008 when we got funding from a one-year pilot project funding from United Way that we were able to start. So it's basically eight years now, yeah? Eight or nine, if my math is right. Yeah, and there was a particular part of the world that I heard in that story. So is that, are, are the the immigrants and refugees from that part of the world, what you focus on? And well, has that always been the case? Or? No, back in 2008, we started in the Children's Peace Theater in East York, and it was very diverse. We had Karen refugees from Burma, um, Colombia, Sri Lanka, um, Mexico, um, where else? Haiti, Sierra Leone. China, but yeah, but and then later on, we moved more to Victoria Village, that area, and it was Afghan and, and Iraqi, and then we moved further into North York, but east, and there were a lot of Iraqi families at the time, and Iraqi and people from Iran, and um, but now it's mainly Syrian and Iraqi refugees, and a few from Libya and Egypt. Mm -hmm. There's obviously a big difference between immigrants and refugees, although they seem to always be conflated mm -hmm. when people talk about them in public. Mm -hmm. But as it concerns Turtle House, you must have a different perspective and approach to both those kinds of communities, refugee and immigrant communities. Are there ways in which actually maybe they are similar from your point of view and have similar needs. Yeah, there are similarities. Um, you know, um, a lot of immigrants, when they first come, it's, it's, they still have to get adjusted to a different culture. And if their language isn't English or French, um, there is the language gap as well. And sometimes they, um, it's hard getting accredited um, they're, if even if they're very qualified, so there are those things. And in the case of children, there's the loss to the separation a lot of times from grandparents and school friends, uh, just getting used to different things. And I guess things like bullying happens too, whether you're an immigrant or a, or a refugee in school, because you're different and names are different, things like that. Um, and it takes a while for people to be able, whether they're an immigrant or a refugee, to sponsor the family that you know are it's, they're separated from, who's still back in the other country. So various mm -hmm. things like that. And mm -hmm. as I said, employment is a big issue, whether you're an immigrant or a refugee. There are also distinctions between those two communities, of so course. you must be aware of those through your program. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to them, to us about them from your point of view? Yeah. Well, refugees, first of all, didn't necessarily choose to come. It's a case of forced migration. And um, some people have gone through a lot of traumatic experiences, whether it's war, but it could be torture, detention. Um, they also sometimes They've had to flee, so a lot of times they're just left all those documents that 
their need afterwards, not be able to tell people goodbye, um, and often they're not coming direct from the country of origin either, so they could be in refugee camps for a while, or for, and sometimes a long while in a refugee camp. That was certainly true of the Karen refugees. Mm -hmm. Their children were born in the camps. And they um, haven't necessarily chosen Canada either, have they? Because the mm -hmm. refugee process might stream them mm -hmm. to any number of countries. Yeah. So they, unlike immigrants, have probably come here doubly surprised. One, that they had to leave, and two, mm -hmm. where it is that they're arriving. But sometimes, yeah, but sometimes people know more and more about things right. now. Um, and um, I think, too, that if they've stayed a lot in a, you know, for a long time in a refugee camp or just in another city where they're not allowed to work, um, so that even if they left with money, because they were more middle class, um, they've used up their funds, and mm -hmm. children are out of school for a long time, so when they come to the country too, there's that gap in their education, and that's, yeah. all of those kinds of things are, put them at a disadvantage, and also can make them, you know, they might have to be in a special class, and that might make, I have a stigma for yes. them with the yeah. other kids. Yeah. Given the various things that both sets of folks mm -hmm. are dealing with, mm -hmm. it seems uh, really useful to focus on art and play because mm -hmm. that's an indirect route or avenue for self-expression and mm -hmm. also coming to terms maybe with everything that's happened and what's to come. So you must be on the front line of <laughs> people having to negotiate all of these feelings and events and can you talk to us a bit about what that is like and how you're able to help? Um, on the whole, because we're clearly not art therapy, no. and, and um, we don't really ask um, intrusive kinds of questions or try to unearth what they've gone through. We work much more with, it's there for them to use and um, the different materials and out of and, and express their feelings in different ways, and um, just enjoy it, you know, because art is fun. Yes, clay the clay is very satisfying. Um, it's so tactile. Every, I know even play doh can be like that. Yes, and, and and also they learn they're learning skills at the same time, and um, with drumming and singing. We, right now we have singing in Arabic because we, sometimes we have English songs, but we believe it's really important to affirm the home language, and um, the, and you know I think more and more people recognize that um, retaining the home language is really important even in. In education has recognized that much more now, that mm -hmm. it helps them succeed academically, and it strengthens the bonds between them and their parents, too. Yeah, yeah. And they really get into it. So. You brought something. I'm going to hold your mic for you. Just so that when people are looking at this, one side is the U yeah. is Mexico, 
and one side? Yes, so you need to hold it together, really. And then I'm going, so I went back to talk about the volunteers okay, because so. this, this was this, what I'm going to read right now, was written by a volunteer working with this kid who was doing that. So, so maybe, I don't think everybody can look at it at once. This piece of, so this is not me speaking, but the program volunteer. This piece of art was created by H. Using, I don't want to use his name. Using scraps of paper he found on the art table. Ironically, the pieces he used were hearts and other cutouts from a Valentine's theme, generally considered a peaceful and loving celebration. H first glued the black construction paper to the base by cleverly and artistically using torn heart-shaped paper. When I asked what the black piece was, he said, it is the wall between Mexico and the United States. As he added more elements to the diorama, I asked about each one. On the Mexican side, four brown paper figures stand upright. He said the circles with X's through them were bombs or mines. On the American side, a semicircle of upside down hearts formed protection for a paper tank. H drew a tank on the white base as well. An American flag stands on the edge of the wall. Finally, he dripped white glue on the wall. This is protection, something like metal, he said. I'm not sure what the torn pieces of paper towel on the wall represent, but they certainly add to the menacing sense of the whole diorama. So this was what this last, the current session we're doing right now started on February 4th. And this was just after um, the, bomb, the killing in Quebec at the mosque. And also Trump had just come out with the ban um, against Muslims and Syrians and so on. So this was just very soon after that, that he did that. Where was he from? Well, he wasn't from Mexico. No, no. He, he was from, his family was from Iraq, but they went as refugees from Iraq to Syria and then became refugees from Syria here. So. It's interesting that he chose Mexico. Yeah, but I mean, that was, he's about 11, 11 plus, but it's, they're very much aware of what's happening. So that was pretty much in the news that. Syrians weren't going to be accepted, Muslims weren't going to be accepted to go to the United States, now refugees in general. So the current climate in North America is affecting all of us, mm -hmm. but obviously the community that you serve mm -hmm. is feeling it much more keenly than we are. What, what, uh, what, what are they going through? What, what can we understand about the situation that they find themselves in, coming as new refugees to this country and finding the discourse so often about mm -hmm. refugees in the, in the media and yeah. socially. Well, I, I imagine it must have quite an impact on yes. them. As, as you can see, this is a young boy Indeed. doing this. And um, actually, the very first week after um, the killing, the massacre at the mosque, we thought, 
as I said, we have a policy not to really ask intrusive questions or to kind of dig at trauma. But we thought we can't ignore this, so we had to deal with it. And so we went prepared the very first session to talk a bit to address how we were feeling. So I and one other person spoke about um, just feeling sad and angry at what had happened and to go on to say that we welcome them and we welcome refugees. And then we asked them to form a circle, a brief circle. So I gathered everybody together, children and parents, and said this. And um, then we sang a chorus, actually, but as I say, I can't sing, so I won't sing it. <laughs> so <laughs> um, the words were, you know, draw the circle wide, draw it wider still. No one stands alone. Standing side by side, draw the circle wide. Words to that effect. Not, I don't know if I have it completely right. So after that, you know, two Syrian mothers on either side hugged me simultaneously on either side. And it was really, I really felt very teary, but it was a very emotional time. And, um, and then after that, the theme at all the tables we focused on protecting yourself, um, being protected, feeling protected, and um, talking about friends and family and how you can stay strong and safe. So that's one thing we did. As to how it's affecting them, we have beyond that, we haven't really asked. Um, but I noticed, like last year, we had a program that ended December 17th. And we had between 50 and 57 children and parents coming each week then. And numbers are much, are much less now, and I, especially with those taking the TTC to come to the program. So I don't know whether it's because it's winter or if it's because um, it's a little threatening to come on the TTC, especially with a number of children and if you're wearing a hijab. I don't know, and I'm not asking questions about it. But. So it must, must have an impact, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think there's anything that, from your perspective, you could share with us about the refugee experience that you think maybe, just generally, is least understood by the general public about mm -hmm. what it's like, what, and, and for us to know uh, what it's like so that we could maybe find a way of playing an active role in uh, being a welcoming community. Hmm. I know well, one obvious action is to undertake to sponsor refugees. Uh, I that think, goes without saying. I think being welcoming and making connections is really a, an important thing. It's an accepting each other. like. I don't really like saying tolerance because tolerance is not really a very accepting word. <laughs> um, being open, open to have to listen and to have a dialogue. Well, even even if their English isn't that good and your Arabic isn't that good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think it's. Yeah, I think maybe not judge, not 
come in with judgments. Um, and I'm not suggesting that anybody in here is, have all these judgments, but I think we all judge somewhat. Um, and sometimes, it's, you know, I wonder why can't people confront much more or um, sort of become Canadian. <laughs> um, but I think we're all Canadian anyways. But, and we bring things with us. We all have something to bring and share. That's my feeling. So uh, we'd like you folks to know that uh, we'll put a contact information on the podcast that comes with this Egg Rolls. If you don't already subscribe to our uh, podcast, you can do so through iTunes or through our website. And uh, so it, we'll put information about Turtle House there. But if you wanted to do a little plug about the fact that you always accept money, <laughs> please feel free to do that. And if well, there's any other way people can support and contribute. Sure. Um, well, our website is www.turtlehouseartplaycenter.org. You can check that out. There's our annual report going around. And um, we became a charitable organization in January 2014. So we can give tax receipts, and we are on Canada Helps as a charitable organization. But we're very, very small. Um, we're funded by Toronto Arts Council on a project basis and by individual donations from individual donors and churches. But we don't really have any, um, what shall I say? We don't have core funding. We don't have funding that pays for the bookkeeper, the auditor. The, we, we, so we struggle for those things. But what's great about your organization, from my point of view, is one, we got a chance to meet you, and two, you're within our community, and three, you're doing the things we really support and wish we were doing ourselves. So you've given us a window into that work and uh, enthused us about the work and given us a way that we can think of contributing a small amount of money mm -hmm. and impacting a small organization which we is kind of handmade, is kind of local and handmade. Yeah. And so, uh, I don't know, I always enjoy having an opportunity to support that kind of organization. The large organizations attract a lot of wealth because of their size, but it's great for us to acknowledge and support the smaller organizations. Thank you. Could I just say too? Please that, do. Um, it's interesting about coming to um, John and Waleed tonight because Waleed has, we also have. We used to have it annually, but now it's every two years, a concert called Open to the World, A Musical Journey. And we have that at um, Trinity St. Paul's Church in the sanctuary, where Tapel Music plays. And um, Walid has been at every single fundraising concert as a performer with us. <laughs> so. Well, that's appropriate. Uh, I wanted to thank you again for coming tonight, Shaman. Uh, conclude by saying this is a wonderful introduction from my point of view, which is why we organized it for you, to go and see John and Walid, because it's about uh, really harmony both musically, as you see in my, my note in the program, both about musical harmony but also about harmony between two gentlemen 
who have different backgrounds in almost every way. And it's not an easy thing to come by, harmony, but I think there's uh, extraordinary rewards for all of us if we can find ways to harmonize and to use, use your words, I think, was to be tolerant and to be open and inclusive. Thank, Thank you very much for coming Thank tonight. Thank you. And we are back to silence. Again, changing things up a little bit because rather than our standard outro, I actually want to leave you with a little bit from the show. But first, I want to tell you a bit about the show and the team behind it. The piece, John and Walid, is created and performed by John Millard and Walid Abdul Hamid. It's directed by Marjorie Chan, with dramaturgy by Marjorie Chan and Andy McKim. The set and costume design is by Joanna Yu, with projection and lighting design by Caitlin Hickey. The sound design and engineering is by Kai Masioka. The stage management is by Aaron Fitzgerald. There's been additional video, and that's by Lily Ross Millard. Finally, I'd like to leave you with a little bit from the show. This is from a live recording. Sound engineering on this track is by Kai Masioka. And of course, who you're hearing? John Millard, Walid Abdul Hamid. This is a song called Bargan. I'm Jiv Parasram, Associate Artistic Producer at Theatre Passamurai. Hope to see you at the theatre soon. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.